Hello and a very warm welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Baxter, I'm the Funds Editor on Investors Chronicle and today I'm joined by our very own David Thorpe and also with us is Jasper Thornton-Bowman, uh, Investment Director at Parmenian. Uh, so thank you both for, for your time. Uh, I feel, you know, almost weary of saying this, but once again we begin a podcast with a, a very um, topical, you might euphemistically say interesting time with the gilts having a massive sell-off sterling in the gutter uh very challenging time and um, jasper i suppose what's interesting looking at this is now if you're if you're kind of banding clients by by risk um your lower risk clients are perhaps having an even worse time than some of your kind of you know racier portfolios um in, in light of kind of what's been happening, you know, this year and has really accelerated in, in recent days, how are you trying to kind of, you know, position those portfolios? What are you, where are you trying to kind of move around to? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a hard thing to do because if you think, you know, about a classic uh, portfolio, generally, you know, a, a low-risk client is um, almost by definition going to have a real large, large amount of um of fixed interest and, and bonds in their space. You know, alongside that, you might have a bit of cash, um or you know some some sort of alternative, um, but yeah, like you said, it's been this year has been a kind of flipped itself on, on its head a bit because it's been a you know you call it a risk off um, period of time, but we've seen the low risk clients suffer quite considerably more than mid risk high risk clients. Um, I mean, not for you know for years and years really, we've not had it for you know as long as I can remember a time where fixed interest has had the the kind of drawdown levels that it has this year. I mean, if you think about a the UK government bond uh, year to date, I think, you know, is probably down about 30% uh, index linked. Uh, you know, again, you know, UK gilts, um, about 35%. Um, treasuries, you know, pre- I was going to say they protected a bit better. They've not, they've just fallen by less, um, which has really just been a um, an output of lower duration. But that, that's been um, comfortably in excess of, of, of equities. Um, the... I mean, what, what one one thing that we have done this year is, um, is is reduced down the amount of UK exposure we've got in the in the government bond space. So we kind of came we came into the year um, with a view that um, you know risk you know there was duration risk there, and in terms of yield, the, the risk was to the upside. Uh, we we certainly didn't expect yields to go up this this sharply um, through through twenty twenty two, but we did think there was an upside risk there. So we we reduced down our UK exposure. Moved about half of that into into treasuries, uh, which um, which would have reduced down our duration a bit, and thus our kind of sensitivity to to interest rates. But um, but there's to be honest, there's not a huge amount you can do when everything is going down. You know, credit uh, kind of investment grade high yield is it's less sensitive to interest rates, but we've still seen credit spreads widen and those 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 fall as well. So I mean, ultimately that. And really, unless you're holding cash or UK equity income um, as an asset class, you've pretty much lost money um, in ev- everywhere. So I think it is, it's been as much a, a story of um, just getting the messaging right to, to, mm-hmm. to low risk clients, to be honest. Um, so, that, you know, th- th- they've had, you know, to say 10 years of, or, you know, or longer, you know, guilts providing, a, you know, capital protection of 5%. You know, annualized return, and all of a sudden, that's um, you know, that, that's not even close to what they're getting. So, I think 
yeah, as much as changing portfolios, it's been about um, just reassuring, getting the message messaging right to both the advisors that we deal with and, and their own clients. Mm. I mean, I suppose what's one area that's interesting as well is, um, in, at least in very recent days, you've seen finally, for example, the infrastructure investment trusts have taken quite a hit as people start thinking about kind of discount rates. Um, do you think, I mean, is that an area you just steer clear of because of kind of valuations or previous valuations perhaps? Yeah, uh, so so we've got a bit in infrastructure. So um, it, it's something we actually didn't, we, we've not historically held, but we, we over the last year or so, we, we have had a bit of exposure. So we've always been real strong advocates of um, direct property, so bricks and mortar property funds. Um, and they, they work brilliantly as a diversifier, but obviously the, the flip side is that you do have that um, liquidity risk um you know that that kind of kick, you know was front of mind through kind of brexit vote time and uh you know we, we've had some lockups since as well so that that's one area um that, that we we've looked to um to benefit from but yeah alongside that we hold infrastructure um and primarily absolute return as kind of a um a diversifier to our equities and bonds uh you know infrastructure it in a way, it's got some, you know, some similar characteristics to uh, to bricks and mortar property. You know, it has these long-term inflation-linked uh, income streams, uh, which you know, which should uh, should serve serve clients well. But like you said, it, you, you do have that um, premium discount uh, element, and ultimately, you know, they 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 can and do trade like equity. So it's um, it's it, it's something that we do utilize in portfolios, but not. Um, I suppose you know we don't have a huge. It's not like we're double digit um, all- allocated there. It's 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 a small allocation, but it is something that we do think can, can add some value. And um, Jasper, I'm, I'm just not, you, you mentioned the sort of negative return from from uh, gilts and other govies this year, um, which is obviously very very relevant. But in addition to the fact that um, they've been in negative territory, the volatility has been very high. And when you're thinking about a cautious client apart from the fact that they don't want to lose money because no one does they also tend to maybe have a often have a shorter time horizon so volatility is very much their enemy in the way that it's not for maybe the more uh, aggressively uh, porf- uh, um, more aggressive portfolio so does the volatility of, of gilts and govies actually change the long-term investment profile of those as as assets because okay they might bounce back this year but even if they did that would still be a very volatile year and the point is they're not supposed to be volatile right uh yeah well certainly not to the extent that they are are at the moment when we i guess when we think of volatility we try and think of it in um uh kind of volatility at, at certain points in the market so you know if if we have equities selling off and you know volatility spikes in in gubbies but it's because they're going up in value then you know that that's kind of positive vo- volatility in a sense but yeah absolutely it's the i think when when we have so much uncertainty around at the moment yeah the undoubtedly you know volatility you know it ha- has been higher than than people are used to and yeah if you if you if you have a short-term time horizon at the moment i, d- I don't think you can move your money into into government bonds because it's just like i said it's it's a long-term asset class in in the same way that the equity equities are i think you know, it's really you know, it, it, like I said, if, if you have a short-term time margin at the moment, I think ca- cash is really where where you need to be to to go beyond that. I think is is certainly taking on medium long-term style risk. And on the infrastructure point, um, 
what I've been hearing, I don't, I don't know how Dave, uh, what, what Dave's been hearing, but what, what I've been hearing about that is, you know, it's, it's not just about the yield, it's not just about the, you know, uh, the yield relative to anything else. It's about that these are government protected cash flows, um, about the fact that infrastructure spending needs to happen in society so that this is a structural growth story. But I guess I've heard it many times. This is a structural growth story, and then something happens in the in the market that's cyclical, and and the structural growth stories fall over as well. Yes, I think the um, I think the structural growth story plays into um, infrastructure as a part of a strategic asset allocation. So look, take a take a ten. You know, everyone varies in terms of what what they consider strategic, but for us, it's kind of 10, 10 15 plus years. Absolutely, it, it's got a place there. But yeah, right, absolutely, as you said, in the in the short to medium term, it's um, it's sentiment that that drives the you know the performance of that as an asset class. So yeah, absolutely, you know, it, it's it is cyclical. It trade, you know, that infrastructure will trade like equities, and you know, you need to be aware of that. But yeah, in terms of those, I you know, I buy, I buy into all of the structural stories that you know you, you said and you hear about, but it's. Um, only, only as, an, as an element of long-term asset allocation, uh, not, nothing further. Thank you. Is is there any way that you see to do the more kind of, um, I suppose, short-term allocations? I mean, sometimes you find people in the industry will especially <clears throat> favour things like kind of ETFs because you can, you know, move quickly and use something almost as like a, a kind of placeholder allocation before you before the smoke clears. Um, I mean, do you guys have a have a broad way of approaching things um we so we, we don't use any uh etfs in our core portfolios really apart from a uh a newly launched passive esg solution but in our in our kind of primary portfolios uh it it, it it's all but kind of active and passive um uh, unit size funds uh so we're not trying to do anything uh smarter than that when we kind of when we asset allocate on a tactical uh view we're really taking a you know, probably a 12 month time horizon we're not trying to um do anything short than that or you know work out or or take a view on what we think is going to happen in the next three months because we just think that we're we're, we're going to be behind the curve there and that's not really um the mandate or what people are signed up to in our portfolios i mean we've we have recently um uh dropped down our direct um property exposure in um and in place, we've added some infrastructure there, and that's really because we think that the for direct property it hasn't come off as much as it ought to, um, given where we are in the, in the cycle, what we've seen in markets. And I think that it's it's been too slow to reprice. And if you look at kind of if you just look at yield as a as a real straightforward, I guess, uh, relative value measure, you know, the it it looks more infrastructure now looks more attractive than um, than UK uh, bricks and mortar property. So that's that's a recent change we've made in our portfolios i think that went through last week in in our tactical ones but that's uh but like i said that that's that's still with with at least kind of a a 12-month hat on and is that kind of recession risk you think's not being properly priced in or yeah um yeah pretty much if you look at um uh bricks and more property uh this year you know obviously you know it's it's comes in 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 a kind of daily pricing vehicle but you know the way the way that the actual underlying properties value is not uh not not daily so you do have that mismatch and we've seen uh we've seen a bit of repricing and and it come down over the last month or so but not to the extent that we think um 
is reflective of the the, the current environment ultimately. Um, so yeah, we think there's there's a lag there and a bit more to come. Uh, whereas you know, we, you you maybe seen a bit more bit more elsewhere. Uh, we, I mean, it, if in terms of the way that we um, we look at tactical, we we take very much a business cycle view. So we. Uh, we have a strategic asset allocation, and then we almost have four kind of structural tilts, uh, depending on whether we believe we're in kind of recession through through to expansion, and then kind of have an overlay there around valuation, uh, sentiment, uh, liquidity. So, where we are in the cycle, we think that 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 makes a bit of sense when you, when you when you add that valuation overlay to two things. Do you think that the uh, structural case for for property may have may have changed i mean there's, there's always a debate about where you are in the cycle there's always a debate about correlation with with equity or whether it's a diversifier but given the you know changing work habits changing social life habits um does that change the the structural long-term story around around property uh I think it, in terms of the i guess the world of mps and platforms i think the uh regulatory uncertainty is probably what's driving the for me kind of the long-term uh or, or maybe giving you know the, the most question marks around the long-term viability of it as an asset class and that kind of structural story uh you absolutely you know, you know uh office office space uh you know where you know whether it's central london or uh, or me, more regional has certainly come under pressure um i don't know if that kind of uh it, 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 it's structural, but it's something that you know a good active manager uh, running a portfolio can, can work around. It might you know, that you, you, it might be that you've been overweight kind of industrials for for a long time, or um, you know, built, built, built a rent sector. But there, there are a few bit you know things you can do around the edge and position. So I don't think necessarily think that's a, a game changer for for property funds. Um, but I guess regulation potentially could be certainly in the in a certain format in this current format um another kind of moving to a different subject another um area you mentioned earlier that's perhaps a bit of interest um and i guess it's a, something that's used in very different ends of the risk spectrum is kind of equity income uh, how do you kind of address that and uh, also kind of where along an mps would you tend to kind of use it because i suppose it can have so many different functions yeah, equity income is a, uh, it's a funny one because it's always, well, I guess it is still is, but historically it's, you know, it's been seen as slightly more defensive um, area of equity. So, you know, if you think about the UK and you kind of think of the oil company sector and the UK equity income sector, that kind of dividend stream would be seen as slightly more defensive and as such, you know, a, you know, in times of market stress, you would hope that it held up slightly better. And then COVID hit, obviously Q1 2020, and that, uh, you know, we saw dividend cuts and so forth, and equity income really performed quite poorly. I think a lot of people rate it off at that point um, as as an asset class. Actually, uh, it, it's one that we you know was was painful at the time for us, but we we've stuck stuck with it. And this year's kind of um, we we've seen the benefit of that. It's it's, a, it's about flat at the moment, albeit I think you could you know a, a passive fund in that space ha, has been up as much as ten percent um, th this year too. So it's for us, we we blend within the UK between the oil company and the equity income sector, kind of fifty-fifty, uh, with the the highest allocation really through through our mid-risk grade. So we run uh, one to ten in terms of um, 
our models for each of our solutions. Yeah, it's probably kind of between four and six where you've got the most allocation there. Um, and for us, it's really a um, one we think is that it, you know, it's a good asset class to invest in. And over time, you can see you know, the returns have been excellent there. But it's really a diversifier versus um, uh, the UK all share. So you know, if, if, you were, if you ever look at kind of rolling data, you'll see that they do um, cross over quite nicely and provide a slightly different return profile, which for us is it's a nice way of, uh, of blending that allocation. Um, and for us, sometimes in the space, active managers um, don't necessarily provide that diversification benefit that we're looking for. You know, there, there are many active income managers that are actually falling into the all, the all company sector because they haven't hit their, um, their income requirement for, for the IA equity income. Um, and something like a, a passive fund, so Vanguard UK equity income, basically um, almost ensures you do get diversification there. You know, you have a yield of about 5% or so. You have an index that's built around uh, both kind of market cap and, and forward-looking dividend yield. And and that, that's been a really positive thing for us. So using something like that rather than um, maybe a traditional active uh, income fund can re- be a real benefit uh, to portfolios. And, you know, we, we do have some some good income managers there. You know, I can think of even load income as, as a really good fund. But if you put that next to something like Lins or Train, which, you know, is, 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 is more of a growthy fund, they don't actually have a particularly different return profile. So what, whilst they're both great funds, they're not doing uh, almost the job that we're looking for in that income space, which is why something like that Vanguard fund, uh, like I said, can really kind of uh, enforce diversification into portfolios. Mm. And I suppose that even load fund is one of the ones that many years ago now actually got kicked out of the uh, equity income sector, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. Actually, I can't remember a time. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't any maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the challenge with it is because it uses the sort of growth style of investing. When growth was doing well, the the share prices kept, of the companies kept going up and yeah. went up faster than the yield. Almost, it wasn't even that they, you know, that they changed style or anything. It was just. Um, you know, if the share price, if the share price doubles, but the yield only goes up by a third. Well, the yield going up by a third seems good until you realise that the, the yield on the fund is not is not that yeah, hot. No, absolutely. You can also be a yeah victim of your own success at, at times there. But yeah, some, something like so, something like that Vanguard fund when it's almost a, there's almost it's not I would it's not a smart beta fund, but it's almost in that um that 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 direction where you have something slightly more mechanical that almost um like i said enforces a certain type of characteristic and uh mm-hmm. you know like i said that that when uh, alongside um you know some some other strong active managers can can blend quite nicely mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because i suppose passive equity income often gets um criticized because you, you can put overlays that have things like kind of dividend growth in and you look at the I don't know the dividend aristocrats funds and that kind of thing, but sometimes people worry that it is kind of too um I suppose yield chasey, if you can use a term like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that I think it's is is certainly a fair a fair question to ask. But I mean you can um you know you can level kind of questions like that towards passive in a number of asset classes if you think about the bond space okay well you're um mm-hmm. you know you, you you're waiting a, a passive fund based on you know the, the companies that issue in the most debt is does that does that feel like a great way to to invest potentially not but it does you know it does provide low cost access to um 
you know to a fixed income market and if it's just you know a certain characteristic that you're looking for then and quite possibly that that you know that's a good way to do it so yeah you know there, there are pros and cons to to passive investing i think across every asset class and finally you mentioned kind of passive esg um I mean, how is that kind of working that's another area where uh you know people are people are to put it politely quite split on whether whether or not it works yeah no absolutely so we we we've recently launched a solution but to be honest we took we we probably first spoke about this solution um must have been five you know five years or something ago we've been speaking to providers in the market um pretty much on an ongoing basis since then and we've only just got to the point where we feel comfortable um to, to, to bring something forward and basically kind of put our name by it um we've been we, we, we have, we've had active esg solutions uh, in the marketplace for, you know a good 10 years now so we've kind of been we've got a good track record there a good heritage we're we're proud of what we do and and the worry was that you know we we dilute that by bringing a a, a passive uh i'd say a passive equivalent but we would probably position it more as a passive option but rather than it being a um uh, kind of a sidestep from one of our active propositions. It's more a, a step up from from passive. So we're not in any way trying to say that look we can provide the same sort of um, uh, I guess positive um, positive outlook engagement stewardship and so forth that that you might get with an active product in 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 the passive field. But if you are a cost conscious uh, passive investor, but you would just like uh, you know your money to to be you know tilted you know in a slightly more positive way, or you know or be or have a cert you know a, a certain number of stocks screened out that you know that on a uh, on a you know I guess a reasonably non-subjective basis you know would be considered bad companies then 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 this is the way to do it. It's you know a cost cost-effective way to um, I guess make your money work slightly harder from from an ESG perspective. But for a, I, th- I think you know, for a, 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 I guess what you'd call a traditional uh, ESG or ethical investor, then you know, I, I would still always you know be an ad- advocate of of an active approach approach there. I think. Mm, yeah. And is there is there an argument that if you're in uh, passive uh, ESG that you're less exposed to the growth uh, factor? Um, because one one of the challenges it seems with that we hear from advisors about EST is uh, well when they pick an active fund they end up in uh, they end up in a load of exposed to one style and you know that style's not had a good run this year but does passive because it buys a whole index have more chance of having more value in there? Uh, yeah, I mean I'd I'd say they very recently launched so in terms of kind of having live data to. To back, to back up views there, I guess we, we don't have the track record just yet. And a lot of the um, the indices, while kind of backdated, don't, re- I guess, necessarily have a, you know, a long enough valid track record to, to say for sure. But yeah, I think that's a, I mean, I'd probably agree that, that, that that's, that's a potential improvement from a style basis, moving from active to, to passive there. Because the, you know, like I said, the overweight towards growth style investing is, it, it was something it's something that's always been there but for the last you know 10 years it's it's been a factor we've known about but everyone's maybe not worried about it too much because that that's been the place to be and then all mm. of a sudden it hasn't been the place to be and um 
you know, we've all realised that actually um, a bit of diversification would be quite nice. Um, but yeah, it, it's the, the way I kind of often position it when you know speaking to uh, clients. Is, look, you, know, you, you 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 may well get a bit more volatility um, over time because you know you, you, there are certain parts of the market that you just won't have the exposure to, but. You do have you have these exposures to the, you know these long term more structural themes, and if you, you you can take, I guess take a view that matches your time horizon. You know, hopefully that can give give a bit of comfort. At those I guess those points of stress where you know ultimately, growth style investing might be out of favour, or you know you have energy that's that's, you know, that's doing very well, and all of a sudden you know you are lagging. Now, I suppose you know the flip side is if you know, if you, if you, if you're an ESG investor, um, and you know you've seen what's done well this year, do you do you want, you know, do you want your returns to come from you know that those to be the drivers of your returns? I mean, it, I guess it depends why you why you held that ESG portfolio in the first place. If it's because you're a, you no, know, you, you are rightly an ESG investor, then no, you probably don't. If it's if you pick that portfolio because it it done really well previously, then um, maybe that's when you know you'd have a few questions mm. yeah it's an interesting uh, revelation of people's priorities perhaps with what they what they want in their portfolios what they can tolerate um yeah absolutely yeah well very interesting um i'm afraid that is all we have time for however uh so thank you very much to both david and jasper for their time today and thank you for listening take care